Hey there, welcome to Generation AI, the podcast where we demystify artificial intelligence in the world of higher education. I'm your host, Artis Kadu, and as always, joined by my insightful co-host, JC Bonilla, Dr. JC Bonilla. Hello, JC. You almost dropped the doctor there, right? I did. Hello, everybody. Episode three, three in, in this journey of our conversations, our perspectives, Artists, I hope you had a fantastic 2023. As we talk about 2024, I must ask my friend, any new year resolution, things that you've kicked off, what is Artists 2.0, more like 2024, Q1 looking like? Are you into any new year resolutions? Well, I mean, I'm going to be very common and say, I just need to pay more attention to my health and self-improvement and my mental health as well. Being really, really focused on the business and trying to grow the business. 2024 is going to be even more stressful and even more intense with the acceleration that we're seeing. But I need to take a, a little bit of time for myself. So self-care, I guess, as average as it is as a New Year's resolution, I think that's going to be mine. Is, is there one that kind of catches your eye that you like to say, hey, audience, put me on check. Did I accomplish that? Something that you're sharing, uh, like that's the one, <laughs> maybe for the audience, but for the public. And some people disclose that goal. Do you have that? Maybe if, if you ask my team, they'll probably say a goal would be for artists to be on Slack and, and available less than 12 hours a day. So maybe that could be a goal for us. And is the hour shifting towards... Diane, your wife, and the kids? Is that the plan or just basically a bit of me time? No, it, it definitely has to shift to that, yes. But uh, also self-care. Gotcha. I see myself as somebody who is athletic and who exercises. Yeah. And that self-vision is eroding. Mm -hmm. uh, the more and more I go without actually putting in the time and the effort into that. So 2024 will be that new year. How about you? We'll hold your candle to that. My friend, two things. Number one, I have little ones. As I'm still changing diapers. More importantly, my little one just graduated. So I'm looking for that self-time, but it's me. That's why I asked. And one of the things that since COVID, I've stopped doing things that are so important to find my identity. So 2024 is the year where, where I retake them and it's health-driven. And it just really sounds like me. Also, it's really interestingly, I'm very social. And then with kids and COVID, I realized... My social network, like friends, in this case, male friends, I don't have them speed out. The other day, I want to go out for a drink and I'm like, who can I have a drink with? Brother, you're in like Raleigh, North Carolina. It's a little far between Brooklyn and Raleigh. So yeah, we're, I'm really trying to make sure that I, my friendships are connected in depth, but it's about me and other kids and things like that. But one of the things that I'm now following, and his name escapes me, maybe we can put it on the episode notes, but there is a motivational speaker. His name is Jesse. Last name, can I remember? Really interesting Instagram and social media posting. And he has this planning that I'm going to be adhering to. So everyone who is like me, I'm a planner and I like the goals, quarterly reviews. He speaks about the challenges. So basically, what is the challenge you're going to do? So it's self-motivation. And in my case, I'm going to do it in mileage. I really want to have a number because I bike, I walk, I run. So like, what is the number of miles that I'm going to clock in? And that's an important number to me. But the second one, I'm going back to that. It's called experience. And I never thought it that way. Last year, 2023, I, I had an experience with my boy. We flew to Costa Rica, saw my family. So we did that together. And then early in 2023, I took my daughter to um, Disney. Totally on plan, both of them. So 2024, self, me, friends, that mileage thing. And then one 
quarterly experience that either with my kids individually or group, I can deploy that. And obviously work, all that kind of stuff still there, but I just feel that I have a better grip on my professional life than my personal. So alluding into personal stuff. Well, 2024 on that rant, let's switch to this work that we do in the podcast. I hope all of you are enjoying our nerdy rants. Episode one and two were actually fun. Friends and family reacting as in, what? You guys know about that? Like, yeah, a little bit. Artists, we have a game plan that I think is very exciting. And again, maybe just a survey of one. We just love nerdiness. But what should we be looking ahead in terms of topics? What can we tell our friends and growing audience that the next three to five episodes will be a journey of? What are we thinking, artists? Yeah, so we want to, just like the promise of the podcast, we want to make sure that we're covering AI topics and how that is affecting our day-to-day lives and how can we make it actionable for everybody and keeping you up to date with everything. However, in each episode, we're going to try to focus on specific topics that kind of revolve around AI and how AI focuses on it. Today, we're going to try to talk a little bit about Gen Z and AI and how that fits in. During our next few episodes, we're going to talk about 2024, everybody needs to learn AI. What are the tools? What you should be thinking about? What are the courses that you should probably be thinking about? Like, what are the skills that you need for work or for engagement or productivity and so on and so forth? We're going to talk about battles of the LLM. So we'll try to dive a little bit deeper. I'm excited about that one. Yeah, that's that should be a good one. We're going to talk about conversational interfaces. So how do we approach this new world and when the future is going to be conversational through chatbots and through conversational interfaces, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that to kind of understand what's the implications, what are the technologies that we're selecting, the tools and how these things work behind the scenes a little bit as well. Speaking of conversational interfaces, we'll talk more about how to bring those practicalities, how to build your own personal bots with OpenAI's GPTs or even personal bots with Poe and how the bots fit into your day-to-day world and how you think about it. And we'll talk about the Google search experiences and the future of SEO. We're going to touch base on Adam Grant, which is a phenomenal writer and how he thinks about hidden potential and how that applies to higher education when we are reviewing and we're talking about evaluating high schoolers. Our idea of test scores and GPAs is a little bit outdated. And the most likely success points that Adam Grant thinks about is around your distance that you've traveled on the progression. So it's the GPT, the progression versus the GPA component. So how far have you traveled versus your kind of aggregate score? So just a few of the topics. It's not the journey, but the destination. (laughs) Well, it's actually not the destination. It is the journey. So those are just some of the topics that that we have planned for the next few episodes. And they're going to be in different order, but we will make sure that we are doing our research, we're going deep in those topics, and you have actionable takeaways that that you walk around with and say, okay, this makes sense, and this is exactly how I should think about this. Of course, you're not going to agree with everything that we say, but we're going to make sure that we're tackling the topic from multiple angles as well. And to that point, our promise as we pick on these topics that we hope you love, our promise is that there's going to be a deep dive on what it is. You walk away just really understanding the topic, a deep dive on how it's built, actually a technical deep dive, and we'll try our best to always start drawing applications centered around higher education, marketing performance, and multiple things in productivity and whatnot. So always expect that it's triage uh, and very true to our nature. 
So with that, let's dive in into today's topic. Our name, Generation AM, alludes to a generational shift. Humans that are exposed to AI and have lived with AI as such behavior changes and the way technology shapes behavior will be one in one. So we must start today's episode with probably the generation that we have seen has been brought up in digital life, what is called a digital native generation, Gen Z. One of the things that we want to do in this episode and throughout our podcast is that we're going to be using a lot of AI to do our own homework, perplexity.ai. One of our incredible tools for researching that is actually going to come and tell us what a Gen Z is and how do they interact with AI. So let's come dive in. Artis, you've done the pre-work. Can you say a little bit what is perplexity.ai and how do we use it for research? Yeah, so this is the first tip that you get from this episode. So if you're not familiar with perplexity, think about it as a chat GPT and a Google search combined together. It's going and, and hitting all the different sources. It's actually citing where it's getting the information from, but it's actually providing that information in a chat GPT generative AI way. So it's really good for research. You obviously, if you get the pro versions, you can get a lot more features in there, but I use it extensively for my own research mm. and it puts many sources together because I need those sources rather than going to Google. It's been an incredible one. So Generation Z, as per these definitions on this tool, yeah. it's a 1995 to 2015 and we know is the first generation that has grown with digital platforms technology, aka the internet, from basically day zero until today. And some of the important characteristics that define Gen Zers are this intentionality and emotional well-being. Some of the negatives of this is that we see how anxiety and the kind of the aspect of being nervous, it's a thing. But at the same time, that intentionality of emotional intelligence and they're plugged in with well-being, how many vegetarians and people who are about caring animal rights over index in this generation? A generation that is the gamers. They grew up with gaming consoles. By the way, artists in class, last week I gave a project on Atari and literally my students were like, what is that? Anyway, a generation that is known for civic engagement, a generation that is known for basically living the experiences and at the workplace, not looking for that hierarchical organizational design, but basically a penetration of the workplace to the relational angle and I am not here for the money per se, but I'm also here for the experience. So this generation, it's here and it's shaping some of the things that we already know. Artists, what can we say about the intersect between AI as we know it, evolving, very language model driven, and this generation, Gen Z, that is basically captivating everyone's attention and it starts to shape in business significantly. We're going to get into that uh, a little bit in roadmaps, but what can we say at the, at the high level of Gen Z meets AI. Yeah. So as you said, Gen Z is born between 95 and 2015 or 2012, depending on how you think about it. My daughter is in that cusp of that generation. Yeah, she's 11 and she's digital native, right? So it's grown up with the internet and digital technology as an integral part of their lives. They know Alexa, they know Siri. So they've grown up with these conversational interfaces. So they're very comfortable with it. They've grown up with iPads. They've grown up with their personal technology. So that's resulted in a relationship with AI. So they're most accepting of technology 
And they're the generation that's most accepting of technology yet. So when we think about technology adoption, AI adoption, they're quickly embracing new applications and they enjoy the challenges that comes with them. So preferring self-directed learning, for example, and more hands-on experiences in education than, like you mentioned, interactive apps and games than other generations. So a significant portion of Gen Z, about 70% of them, use generative AI technologies today. They were one of the ones that pushed ChatGPT to be really popular in the classrooms and started the pushback from academia on using ChatGPT and this generative AI in the classroom. So we see a huge adoption, a very fast adoption of this new AI technologies by Gen Z, just because that's what they do. That's what they've grown up with. And they see it as just a progression. Artists, so basically we're saying Gen Z's, they're AI fluent. They're basically operating at a higher level in terms of adoption, usability, and even depth of AI applications than other generations. And that natural flow, it's basically where with technology, so it's just one more tool that they jump in. But a really interesting pivotal point of how we saw 2023 closing, right, and 2024 is going to unpack, it's how generative AI models trained in the utilization of data. I don't want my data to be exposed to an LLM. I don't care, <laughs> right? So what, what, what can we say about the ethics of a Gen Z and how they shape this amazing ability of an LLM to ingest it all? What do we know about ethics and the considerations of Gen Zers around data privacy? So Gen Z is one of the generations which is most open to sharing their data with yeah. uh, companies and, and organizations. As it's seen by Facebook and social media, they're really open to that. However, when it comes to the trust that they have and the ethics, they are very driven by DEI and all the conversations that are happening around the ethics of AI, how it's marginalizing certain populations, how data is being used. They do not trust organizations to treat Correct. their data the right way. They don't think that organizations right now, companies, and, and even higher education institutions are set up to manage their data the right way. So they are a little bit skeptical on their data usage and how that's going to be used for training models and AI models. But what I find is interesting is an LLM, right? It's a just it's a beast of data ingestion, right? To use really crude names, its ability to take it all and process and anticipate the next word. That's basically what an LLM could be doing in terms of AI and whatnot. So here's a really interesting tension point, and you may say I disagree. On one hand, we're saying Gen Sears may allow us to basically do LLM at its best, right? It's my data, it's fine, but I don't trust my data. It's open in the public. If I look at a corpus of data. I would say it should over-index based on other generations because Gen Sears, as we speak, your daughters, right? My children do not enter that generational segmentation yet, but your daughters and everyone who is right now in starting their career at Gen Sears, they do not have the grip on the economy, right? You have corpuses of Wikipedia that in a way have been written by non-Gen Sears, right? And I would say it over-indexes to millennials, Gen X, boomers. So what is that balance of, I sound like a Gen Z, I speak to a Gen Z, but when the majority of the data, it's non-Gen Z, right? And being authentic is one of the really important things that now, something that is designed for Gen Zers, TikTok, is all about authenticity. So 
Do you know what I'm saying? It's just a really interesting tension between general ingested all LLMs, but then Gen Zers, a generation looking for the authenticity, and then it has to be very scripted towards them. So is there a data bias and maybe LLMs are just basically subject to that? Where do you land in this statement then? We've known now for a long time that the manifestations of, of the predictions of these models on, or AI specifically mimics the data that it was trained on. So it basically captures the yeah. world based on the data that it was trained on. Of course, we saw this in predictive analytics, JC, when we, you and I are doing work. We are very careful in not bringing those biases. For example, we do predictive modeling for schools all the time, and it, it essentially predicted that their school is going to get more of the same students, right? So th if, if the same student pattern came along, it said this is more likely that this student will come on board. However, schools that wanted to diversify their student class and wanted to get students from different areas, now they became biased against those populations because there was just so few of them in the data. So we had to jump through hoops in order to in order to balance and standardize those inputs so we have representation on that data from different places. With LLMs, the corpus of information that's going in is over many generations, I would say for a really long time. So it's the corpus of the whole human race. But of course, we have a lot of data being produced very recently with the internet over the last decade or two. So a lot of that kind of tends to go towards millennials and, and the work that millennials are doing. If you think about a research that was put out last month around ChatGPT, people are noticing that ChatGPT is providing shorter and shorter answers as it goes closer to the holidays. Very Gen Z, very Gen Z. Right. Well, I mean, Gen Z, but also millennials, right? So like we're, we treat our holidays and like it's mimicking society. So essentially it's saying that I'm not going to work as hard. I'm going to give you shorter answers because that's what I'm seeing from all of my different yeah, sources, right? So when you think about bias and how that's going to be reflected in this large language models, nobody knew that was something that was ingrained or embedded in the model until it actually happening and people are doing research and now it comes out. So a lot of these nuances of large language models, we are going to be discovering them for months and months or even years to come as we do more research on them because they're essentially black boxes that we don't know what the pieces are internally. So to your point around, are we encoding Gen Z content in our LLMs and the language that they're speaking? And the answer is not yet, but I'm hopeful that as we open up social media channels, for example, Twitter is a really big one, or maybe TikTok, you can mention TikTok and Instagram. A lot of these are very private data sources, and they're really treasure troves of training material for these large language models. And that's what these companies like OpenAI and Google and Anthropic and so on and so forth and Meta are doing, uh, and even Twitter with their own version of a LLM called Grok, they are using this data platforms proprietary because they're so valuable for training these models. So as we move forward, we're going to see a battle for these data sources so these models can have a better representation of the world uh, as it stands today. Before everyone listening, as we think about aspect of data bias, which is the thing, one of the important things that LLMs and AI tools will need to surface is the idea of recency, right? Because as we start thinking about recency and how a contribution of text versus images and whatnot is going to come in, 
it would be very interesting. How do I balance, right? Remember in machine learning, the idea of a balance is resampling. Either you drop fields or you duplicate fields so you can balance. Uh, in class, imbalancing is a thing. Yeah. In, in large language models, what that's called is fine tuning. So there's a process after you train these base models with all the data, it's called fine tuning. So you essentially are fine tuning the responses to be more aligned with the types of responses that you wanted to do. So rather than changing the input data, you're now going in the back end and you're saying, I'm reinforcing certain behaviors of that model. In a lot of cases, that's called a reinforcement learning from human feedback, where humans are going in and producing and saying, okay, this is a good answer. This is not a good answer. This is how I would answer this. Essentially driving the LLM to a more center uh, and balanced approach. So it's a little bit different than a, a predictive model where you're massaging the input data. In this case, we're fine-tuning it afterwards. And for those of you who are not familiar with some of these machine learning AI models, reinforced learning RN is one of these models that looks at reward and agent and state will move as per the rewarding. A great thing I recommend everyone to do, and we'll put, try to put it on our episode notes, is the movie AlphaGo, where one of the first deployments of reinforced learning is done on the game Go. And it's incredible. By the way, this is what, five or 10 years ago? It's over a decade ago, yeah. Right? God, it was probably the biggest application of reinforced learning that got captured in literally, you redefine the concept of intelligence or human intelligence. Speaking of product artists, let's do a pivot on Gen Z and the relationship to AI product roadmap. So let me prime the conversation for everyone. Incredible brands who are saying, here's our money, manage it for us and get us consumer attention. Capture attention, yeah. What I can tell you in that gigantic amount of money that is trying to make you and I consumers buy product X, Y, or Z, that every CMO intentional strategic deployment is how do I get more Gen Zers into loving my product? So if I don't have the specific number, when I look at $1 billion, at least half of that, it's in billion audience Gen Z, building the audience because we know the economical power, it's not there. Probably millennials or Gen X, baby boomers, may be spending more money. There's a lot of data that suggests that Gen Zers are not homeowners and things like that. So that's basically what we're talking about, that the product roadmap, as we see it, is being shaped towards Gen Zers. Yeah. How is that going to take place in 2024? What, and you are a product person, man. So how do you start thinking about product roadmap when that's my audience, the one that is basically going to be the dominant audience very, very, very soon? So rather than me answering that directly, I wanted to take a little bit of a different approach to say, okay, how does Gen Z's values and beliefs impact their consumer behavior, right? So it's like, how does that fit in? So when you think about it, Gen Z is very pragmatic, right? Their pragmatism, financial mindset. So they're very pragmatic approach to money and that influences their customer behavior. So they tend to be financially cautious and they're more likely to invest in sustainable products, even if that means paying a premium on it, right? So they're gonna pay more for brands that they believe in and they're price sensitive. They spend less generally with only about 19% willing to buy on credit compared to 30% of millennials. So we can consider mm. them cheaper or financially responsible, right? So when you think about it from an institution's perspective or when we think about higher education, it's like the financial mindset like leads them to seek value, quality, and of course, ethical practices in how they 
think about products that they use. Now, on the technology affinity for that, as digital natives, the Gen Z, that's their shopping preferences, right? So they tend to gravitate towards those digital experiences. So they enjoy shopping in stores, but they really go for the simplicity and the the ease of use of digital shopping and digital consumer experiences, right? So they're also influenced very heavily by social media trends with platforms, like you mentioned, TikTok being top of that platform, Instagram driving their purchasing decisions. So influencers are a huge part of that. So as you think about as a brand or as an institution, it's like, how do I change this consumer behavior for Gen Z? Think about what are they influenced by? Who do they look up to? Who do they care about? And try to reach those people to tell your message somehow. The rise of the influencer marketing has been a big thing. And of course, it's driven by Gen Z and how they consume social media. Thinking about social and environmental responsibility, they care a lot about the future, right? It's one of the generations where it's like, wow, global warming and the environmental impact of that, social conscious, like all of these things are in our doorstep and we're having these conversations. They're like, I need to live in this society, so I need to shape it and I'm very conscious about it. So those conversations are happening more and more. So their consumer behavior is influenced by brands' ethics and behavior concerning to environmental and sociopolitical issues. So you can see it with things like Disney and so on and so forth, trying to comment on social and political issues. Some of those brands have tried to stay away from it. If you remember the big Anheuser-Busch with Bud Light commentary. So so there's a big counterculture that's happening. However, Gen Z tends to align more with brands that that actually have a voice and go for it. So to your point before, it's like, who has the the spending money versus who's more loud on social and and pushing influence? And and what you're saying loud and clear, it's that the spending money today is not in the pocket of the Gen Zer, but it will be. And as a new generation, we're going to try to capture dollars and cents. So product technology deployment needs to be basically balancing not only the state of the art of AI, but this that the consumer is going to look for in the sense of socially conscious, right? Emotional well-being, let's build on the future. But at the same time, think about some of the stats that are emerging. Gen Zers do not have savings, right? In terms of, we look at the generational divide. If I was, let's say, 21 today as a Gen Zer, right? And versus myself, 21, on average, we had almost a 2x on savings. 401k adoption. Oh my gosh. The amount of Gen Zers who are building for the future in terms of financials, it's very, very different. At the same time, when you look at the deployment of, let's say, in the metaverse, real estate ownership, when it came to a digital footprint of real estate, over-indexed on Gen Zers. So it's just the construct of what the future is. Because one of the things that it's so clear to me is that when I thought about building for the future, well, I apply mom and dad's view. Just because I grew up that way and as a generation, I put a lot of value to it. But as a Gen Zer, that hierarchical construct of the future looks like that, has flattened. And then my peer, who happens to be in TikTok, and I just don't know her, but she's an influencer in, I don't know, the Ukraine, as they're going through a really interesting liberation, war, Mm -hmm. freedom type of thing. It's shaping my view, and I grabbed it. So I grabbed it as Gen Zer. Yeah. Just the way JC grabbed it when dad was talking to me about, I don't know, the things that he was talking about. So that's a really interesting perspective that the future and the construct of future is different. Therefore, product and AI must go for it. 
Yeah, exactly. So what's driving that, it's the influence on market trends. So Gen Z has a significant influence on the consumer market beyond their actual spending because they're becoming influencers for parents and things like that. But as you're saying, the way that they're consuming, it's about self-expression. So they're more likely to advocate for specific causes that resonate with their identity and prefer personalized, customized products. So think about that. Personalized, customized product that reflects their self-view and self-expression. So they value transparency, authenticity, and seeking genuine connections with brands. So they want personalization, they want connection, they want conversations with brands. That's what's happening on social. So when we think about AI, and when we think about how that's you know being incorporated, now we see that we need to have one-on-one -on -one conversations and we need to have genuine conversations. And AI is the only way that can let us have that at scale because we can't have one representative or one counselor talk to hundreds or even thousands of students. So AI is the only way that can scale. And now we're getting to a place where AI is the fundamental kind of connector and Gen Z is very comfortable communicating with AI and having those answers be asked that way and personalizing their interactions. I read in a stat the other day as we were preparing, about 30% of people as they communicate with brands and they communicate with support brands, they didn't realize or they, they don't remember if their last conversation or their last interaction with their brand or the support was through a human or through a bot. So they don't care, right? So 30% of them, they didn't remember because the experiences are getting so good with AI and the bots. Exactly. That now it doesn't really matter if it was a human, like you're not calling operator, 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 as long as you get your stuff done. So that's the mindset is that this AI and the systems are getting really good and they're getting adopted really fast. So brands and schools and institutions need to change their methodology to focus on how do I provide this first line of defense and how do I make that as a great experience so those students are getting that personalized attention right away. As we close 2023, many of us went through this. 30 days of December, 15 holiday parties, right? And the construct, I just don't have another word to describe, the construct of how I socialize and I seek for meaningful relationships, right? It's totally shaped by my generation, my kind of personality. And you start seeing that group of incredible professionals who are super awkward, not interested in being there. And I'm not saying all of them are generational, Z, right, type of thing. But, you know, the aspect of the divide between the extrovert and the So I, I want everyone to project that typical social setting where it's done for certain people. Now, let's fast forward Gen Z, AI, 2024. Let's go into, let's say, 2034, 10 years from now. It's a generation, as we know, where they've been dominated by a word that is called the loneliness generation. Endless hour of scrolling down, endless hours of online experiences. That shapes behavior. Yes, absolutely. So to your point earlier on, right? I don't discount that this is a bot or a human. I don't need to be in a social, like, what is this social gathering of 15 people holding a drink and like taking a shower because they have to go out of the house and socialize? What is that? I do have a stat for you there. So with drinking, millennials, you saw a drop in the teens, like maybe 12 or 13% in drinking 
from the prior generation to millennials and Gen Z is drinking even less, about 20% less than millennials. So if you have a bar, you're, you must really have some great cocktails or this next generation is not drinking as much. So and that's, that's the point, right? Bars, event spaces, conferences, schools. I mean, I made my career out of info sessions. I was very good at that. And I don't know how the JC of 10 years from now will bring in a class when you basically need to deploy the educational experience. By the way, I assume the educational experience is the fix, right? Right. How do you do that? So as we start thinking about AI, my only logic model is the acceleration of this behavior where the meaningful relationship and cultivating those is just basically a whole new construct. Didn't I just start the conversation saying, I'm looking for meaningful relations and that meant going to a bar with for a drink. <laughs> yes. 10 years from now, that is going to look very, very different. Buckle up, friends, because what is going to happen is incredible acceleration of socializing as we know it today, moving into an AI-facilitated socializing. So as we start thinking about, like from an institution's perspective, right, how can higher ed institutions market and recruit this Gen Z? Of course, there's a lot being said, but... How do you think about this recruiting in the age of AI? I'm going to answer the question with the story that I told you, Artis, and some of the people when we were building Element. Imagine you grab TurboTax, which is the most ridiculous process of filing taxes, and you put incredible UX, right? Bring Eventbrite, which is the most ridiculous event programming that you can have to socialize, but now it gives you incredible UX. And... Basically, put it all together and add tasks and those type of things. That's what Element is. And Element is a reflection of how recruitment takes place. So now I'm answering the question. It would change in such a way because, number one, we understand the educational experience through a socialization aspect that mom and dad come with me. I go where my network influences me. Counselors tell me where to go. It's so social. It's so social. How many students today are sending that application to NYU because cousin, counselor, or dad went there? It's a thing. So all of a sudden, the discovery, and this is the right school for me, changes significantly, right? I could have someone in today's technology, right? I could have someone telling me, you should go here, and that person sits on a TikTok and never met me, right? Just basically out of experience. I yep. take that at high value as a new generation. So if the discovery of the school changes significantly. The second thing is that as you start thinking about AI-enabled discovery, it's a one-to-one -one relationship. So today, recruitment is a one-to-many. One student sends 17 applications in the hopes that she can get a bit into five and selects one, right? What I think happens with AI is a one-to-one -one optimization will be a thing. And putting tremendous pressure on admissibility as we know it. Tier 1 schools pride themselves of admitting only 2%. I mean, how inefficient it is that at NYU, we were reading, I don't know, 40,000 applications just to welcome 1,000. A whole team of hundreds of people just basically doing paper processing. So it will be highly expedited because I think that AI is going to give you that one-to-one -one match. And the last thing that I'll mention in terms of how I think of Gen Z's and AI when it comes to the process is that the application process is a dossier of data, which is the easiest thing to fabricate today or augment with generative AI. So it becomes a new thing. And I wish I had 
better examples, but it's inevitable that when we talk about SATs, an essay, personal statement, standardized exams, and all those type of things, that's just basically such a um, 1990s construct of success. And with generative AI and LLMs and all those type of things that we're talking about, this changes. Does that mean that you just basically send a fingerprint and then it tells you you're a good fit for our school? Maybe. But that's basically from ridiculous fingerprint to where we are today. It's the balance. <laughs> yeah. Will you, you send me a link, an interview with... With one of the big four consultancies. Yeah. One of the big four consultancies. And the questions were coming in, which were theoretical questions, which kind of try to gauge how smart you are, how fast can you pick up information, absorb it, and so on and so forth. And of course, who's answering it on the right-hand side? There is an LLM or one of these chatbots that is listening to the question and is providing the answer in real time as the person. Real-time transcribing the interviewer and the algo just basically giving you the answers and the person just re literally reading, no thinking. Actually, I applaud that the person is able to sound natural in reading, but that was the skill needed. <laughs> So, so the whole idea of the admissions interview and the job interview is completely thrown out the window. So now when we look at evaluations, we have to completely rethink about how we do that. And we'll talk about that in a later episode as we start thinking about more. But one particular metric that I'm going to leave you with, one stat, is that Gen Z has an attention span of eight seconds. I'm a very good Gen Zer then. <laughs> so it's crucial to make an immediate impact, right? And social platforms are super important. So that's what we're going to leave you here today is that Gen Z is the first generation, which are digital natives. The adoption of AI is accelerating. They are the ones who have adopted it the fastest, and we need to keep up and provide experiences that match their expectations of personalization, individual attention, and provide value being contextual and really fast in responding to them when they are in the context of the particular thing that they're doing. Because after eight seconds, their attention is gone. If you get back to them tomorrow, they don't even remember what they asked you today. So you got to be immediate. You got to be responsive. So I had a lot of fun, JC. This is great. We can talk about Gen Z all day long. And of course, as millennials, we can probably say, oh, our generation is so much better. Like these guys, they have no idea what they're talking about. But in some cases, I envy them because they're getting bombarded with more and more messages and consuming all of that is going to be really interesting. So I look at my kids and, and I envy them that they are growing up in this digital first environment and they have all these capabilities at their fingertips and they have all the time to get really good with them. So it's been a pleasure, but I'll leave you with this thing. I'm not a millennial. I'm a Gen X. I'm a little older. But we love you, Gen Z. If you listen to this thing, we love you. You're, you're probably a, you're a Zenial. You're probably a Zenial. I'm at the cusp. 1978. So uh, two more years into Gen X. So I'm, I'm there. But anyway, Gen Z, yes, we love you. And we're so hopeful about how you shape this really dear thing of us called AI. Have a wonderful week, everybody, and we'll see you in our next episode. Thanks, everybody. Bye.